0: Hello, and welcome to Film Shots. Film Shots, y'all. I'm uh, Joel Marshall, and this is my co-host, Dr. Jesse Rimes. What up? And today we're in the home of a writer named Frank Hanna. Many of you know Frank from uh, the movie The Cooler, which is an excellent movie. And we're going to talk to him about that, and we're going to talk to him about some other stuff here. Um, Frank, thanks for um, having us in your house.
1: Oh, no, thank you for... Uh, for- Asking. All right. You good. know the coffee he made
2: smells really it's good. It's very good. I a might even have coffee. to change. No, I'm too not. late. <laughs> but um, are you related to Hannah Barber?
1: No. No. Okay. No. Different Hannah. Yeah. Okay. There's a there's an H at the end of my last name. Oh. Okay. Although, you are. I think there should be a prize. You're like the four millionth person that's asked me that.
0: Well, thank you Excellent.
2: very much. Congratulations. Wow.
1: <laughs> if I, I was, I wouldn't be in this little dumpy, very <laughs> apartment. Would I? It's really a lovely palatial apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: one thing that's great about his apartment is he's obviously somebody who is constantly working on something. He's got the dry erase board over here with <clears throat> ten sequences. Playing out. Um, and he's got, looks like, note cards attached to that. Mm-hmm. He's got a great picture of Enter the Dragon. It's a poster. You're the Dragon. I'm sorry, You're the Dragon. It's uh, yeah, en français, it. That's right. It's, it's, it's in French. Beautiful poster there. Um, he's got another board over here that looks like there's some writing on it uh, in preparation for something. And we're going to talk to him about that. What kind of a process do you use when you write something? Well,
1: you know. It's interesting because a lot of times when you start out writing, you just write, right, and you have no concept of structure, and you just go ahead and you you go through it all, and then you reread it, and you're thinking, you don't know where your what your story's about, you have no concept of of uh, of plot or anything, <clears throat> and it's only after you start to write for a while that you realize that there's a lot more. Like stories don't get shit out whole, it all. Is a process. It wait, takes, wait a minute,
2: stories don't get um, um,
1: created whole. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. Meaning that uh, people always go, oh, you know, uh, I like to write, but, you know, I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. And they, they make it sound as though somehow it's just that it just happens. And a lot of, a lot of times it is a struggle because you may not know where you're going. Or where what's going to happen until you finally, you know, start to set down some kind of structure for yourself. So my process generally starts a lot of times with an idea uh, or a concept. And then it just branches out into uh, some, some form of structure that helps me to, to see where the story is and what, you know. Because what people would say to me when I'd write scripts, because, you know, you write horrible scripts for a very long time until you get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. The system is designed to, like, weed out anybody that doesn't want to just ignore everything else in their life except script writing or or whatever so that um, you can slowly but surely get better. And I would write scripts and someone would say, oh, this is cool, but what's your story about? And say, well, it's, you know, it's this guy and, you know, he he does this and he goes around and does that. And they say, no, 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 I know that. What is your story? Well, it's the sky, and yeah, and they don't, you know, and so you don't necessarily get it, uh, you know, at first. That what you're really saying is, oh, well, yeah, it's this, it's it's a story about a man who loses himself and finds himself through, you know, the process of, you know, working as a coroner or something. You know what I mean? Now, is that the
2: pitch or the logline?
1: Um, you might call it a logline. Um, you know, I think a pitch is generally longer. Mm-hmm. Um, a log line or something, you know, or, or, or a springboard, something that's like, just kind of gets a jumping-off point for, right. um, for a story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, you know, a friend of mine, I used to tell this story where I would say, hey, what, what do you think of this? Because I was pitching stories to people, you know, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, writers, I think, is important to do, is always, always, always try to generate material, because if you're always, you know, fussing around with one or two stories, for a year or two, it's like, well, you know, you really need to continually generate mm-hmm. the ideas. And and I used to say, well, what, what do you think of this idea? Okay, this guy, he's on the roof, and he's got a gun in his mouth, and he's getting ready to kill himself. And he's all depressed and sad, and he you know, cocks the hammer of the gun, and he's ready. And right before he pulls the trigger, uh, the door to the roof flies open and this woman runs screaming and there's a guy chasing her with a knife and so then he has to make this choice and then he turns and he shoots the guy and saves the girl. What do you think of that? I like what? it. Well okay so that's what I would say and my friend would say what's the story? Well it's this guy he's on the roof and you know and, and the thing of it is it's like I didn't get it. That, like that's not a story. The story might be uh-huh. that all of a sudden he's a hero now, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to be a hero. This guy wanted to kill himself, and now yeah. all of a sudden he has to deal with his own self hatred and what have you. So, so it's really
2: what what the the, the character travels, the protagonist um, travel um, journey through 120 pages. That's what you want. You want to talk about what he
1: starts out and what he ends in based his something. arc. He has to want something and something that is okay he has is, to is, want something he has to want mm-hmm. something and, and there has to be a, a, in in my mind there has to be a strong uh moral dilemma like if okay. there 's not a moral dilemma and that moral dilemma is going to somehow platform this guy 's inner flaw like whatever the thing is that we know as an audience mm-hmm. member or a reader, but this guy doesn 't know
2: okay well let me ask ask uh-huh. you
1: um this
2: because um we were just talking about this uh, you know, we've, we've um, just met this screenwriter, so we don't know very much about him. As a matter of fact, I think he knows more about us because he's heard some of our stuff on, on air. But Pope of Greenwich
1: Village, which we were just just talking about yeah.
2: what's the moral dilemma
1: in that film? Uh, well, that's a good question. The dilemma is about uh, the, it's platformed in many different ways through, throughout the, the script or the mm-hmm. movie. And you get these two cousins. One of them is trying to be, they're both kind of like wise guys, but they're not really, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is more of a degenerate kind of risk taker or dreamer um, that just wants the fast buck, which is Eric Roberts. Mickey Rourke is the guy who, who has dreams of owning his own restaurant. He wants to really try and make it. Mm-hmm. But his cousin keeps pulling him into this garbage, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and he keeps having to deal with that, it's affecting everything, you know, it's affecting his relationship with Daryl Hannah, it's that idea where, like, here's there's a great line of dialogue in there where she says, you know, when are you going to outgrow him, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and Mickey Rourke's answer is, you know, we're Italian, we outgrow clothes, we don't outgrow people, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's the dilemma, there it like, is like, when are you going to grow up? And when are you going to do the right thing? Because you're this close to okay. being a good person. But uh-huh. you just miss it. And mm-hmm. so, <clears throat> it's that blood is thicker than water. So mm-hmm. he has to choose family over...
2: I really think that that is one of the, the best things that we've had on tape for our shows. What you just, just did. Where you broke that down in that film so succinctly that a new filmmaker can taste just what a moral dilemma
3: is.
0: And also, that moral dilemma, I feel... It's something that a lot of people go through. That uh, is something we can experience. We can look at that movie and go, "Oh, you know, that happened to me," or "That's just right. like my friend who has that same problem."
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably the reason why the moral dilemma is so important, because we all have some moral dilemma
1: somewhere. We ha- have those choices absolutely um, to make, and and that that those are the things that that drive stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, another example I was talking is I try to mentor. Uh, writers that I know that mm-hmm. ask for help and because, you know, it's, it's tough whenever you're coming up and you need somebody to, to kind of give you, uh, the time to look at it. And I always, uh, point them in the direction of 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm a 60 minutes junkie. And one of the reasons I think they're so successful, aside from doing interesting stories, is they always put a human face on, on, uh, an issue, mm-hmm. which is what storytellers need to do. Like, if you see a story about, um, you know, uh, toxic waste dumping um, in the Midwest somewhere, they're not going to do a story about this plant and how they dump waste. Okay, mm-hmm. You may see that in their story. What they're going to do is they're going to say, here's Mary Smith. Her son is blind, and this is why. So,
3: mm-hmm.
1: because we don't know anything about toxic dumping, but what we do know is that... It's my uh, mother's love for her son, you know, it's like so those are the things that um, you if you ever watch 60 minutes And you know Mm -hmm. it's on every week. You'll see that there's always 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 Mm -hmm. um, The human face to the dilemma or the story, and so I think that's what as a writer We want to try and do and make those problems universal the movies that work the most Effectively are the ones that have a dilemma that Mm -hmm. we all can say wow, you know even like Mission Impossible 3 for example, which, you know... You're not going to give it away, are you? I haven't seen it yet. No, 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 I'm not going to give it away. But but something they tried to do in this movie, which I think they succeeded more than they did in the previous two, is this dilemma of, okay, I really love this girl, and I have to... uh, She doesn't trust me because I'm so secretive, and how can I really share my life?
3: Mm -hmm. Because
1: it's like we go into relationships and we say, okay, well, I have all this crap that's mine mm-hmm. and this person has all the crap that's theirs and you both come into a relationship and you're thinking well I don't want her to see my bag of crap you mm-hmm. know what I mean yeah mm-hmm. and but we but that's the whole point the point is that for a relationship to really work it's like you saying have to okay, here it is. Ugh, man, that'll scare them off. Well, I'm sorry. So, that's No, something. no, you don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't lay it out like on the first date. Oh, you no. don't. Okay. But what I'm saying is mm-hmm. that's what a relationship is. So, is that so you Right. That you're that's willing what to open up reveal. and be honest. Yeah, I mean, and, and
2: that's what the screenwriter's job is in this case to reveal that in a way that it's not off putting, um, for. <clears throat> well, it doesn't seem off-putting for the person who receives it, and that's what you're saying the screenwriter has to do.
3: Oh
1: yeah, I mean, in, in the case of that movie, the dilemma, aside, in between all of the explosions and the action sequences and all the fun that is that movie, is the the universal dilemma of, God, you know, I can't, I can't tell her who I really am, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, wasn't this
2: Superman's dilemma too with Lana um, Lang Lo- and Lo- Lo- I Lo- mean. Thing. I
1: mean, oh, it's universal. It's yeah. that, you know, it's that, mm-hmm. it's that truth. And, you know, to, you were saying about how, like, not wanting to, like, dump all of your, you know, the, the funny story. Years ago, I went to, I was on a first date, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to this restaurant, and wandering around, it's a Italian restaurant, and wandering around, and the restaurant was this guy who did handwriting analysis, mm-hmm. and he had a little sign that said, you know, it didn't bug anybody, he walked around and said, you know, handwriting analyst, $7, you know. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do that. So I called the guy over, and the girl was like, oh, that's fun. So he comes over, and he says, all right, well, write a sentence. It it doesn't matter what you write. It can be gibberish as long as, you know, because I don't look at it like if you say it's dark outside. I'm not going to try and, okay, you have this dark personality. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you write. Just write it like you would write a letter, and then sign your name like you would sign your check,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, or sign your name. And so you do that. So anyway, then he takes 20 minutes. He starts to, like break it all down and it's not divination like tarot cards or mm-hmm. or or you know like where he's trying to divine the future or something mm-hmm. it's all specific if you loop your l this way if you do the anyway so point is he he goes into this 20 minute like breakdown of my life and like pinpoints all of the major issues i have in my life
3: <laughs> for <Wow>. real <laughs> for real honest to right God. there On right the there
1: on a first date, okay? <laughs> so essentially it's like it's like every horrible thing that you don't really want to talk he about. Like the guy yeah, lays it out there. And he's sitting there doing it with like surgical precision, <laughs> and, and he goes, "Am I?" Because you know, he's good at what he does, and he's like, "Look, I'm not, and I'm not giving him anything. I'm just sitting there. He's just telling me what he sees, right?" And uh, and I said, "I said, so am, am I? Uh, am I close?" I mean, because he wants to know, and I'm like. Yeah
3: you know <laughs> we need to we need well, to make you it a point get back speak a little later that. we need says, to yeah. speak a I little I said like yeah her. yeah a couple
1: things you know but meanwhile this girl is gotcha looking at me and she way. knows that yeah. this guy has completely <laughs> pinned me down to a T. and you know it's nobody wants that much truth on a first date and, right. and you know that like I made her do it afterwards too <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to be that vulnerable but after it was done we never saw each other again because I think it was just too much too much yeah. too much yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, but back to your point, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as long as you can come up with a universal dilemma, mm-hmm. you know, you're, that people can kind of grasp onto that's not mm-hmm. too, like, you know, esoteric, mm-hmm. then people are going to say, okay, you know, I get that, mm-hmm. you know. I see that in the movie The Cooler, Yeah, where,
0: um, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this movie but it, I mean you guys have obviously but I don't know if the people out there have seen it but if you haven't I, I tell you go out and see this movie get, get it at the video store it's called The Cooler
1: or watch it on the HBO Or, or watch it's it. on every five is it minutes on? Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Mm, oh, that's good and this is a um, movie that you wrote yep
3: Ooh.
0: the uh, character has a similar sort of problem like that he doesn't want to disclose a certain uh, thing about his character and and uh, he I think he doesn't feel like he's worthy of uh, the relationship that he probably, that he finds. No,
1: no, I mean, that's right, I mean, he, you know, in in that movie, he, it's this notion that over time, when you're so down on yourself, that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and that you don't feel worthy because your world, you just begin to believe the, all the stuff that you kind of see around you and all the things you create, like it becomes your reality. And mm-hmm. thinking that you can step out of that almost becomes uh, like that's never going to happen. There's no way I could be, you know, and I know that that's, I know in my life everything is about perspective. Because, you know, one day you could be thinking, you know, we all self-doubts where you're like, oh my God, it's like, I'm such a fraud, you mm-hmm. know. But then the next day you're like, wow, what was I thinking? I was really, I, I didn't, God, I was in a weird place. Mm-hmm. Because it's all perspective, but yeah. when you're locked into that. Mm-hmm. there's no glow. There's yeah. no, uh, yeah, it's almost like you need somebody mm-hmm. to shake you out of it. That's that right. Seems mm-hmm. what happens That's right. with
0: him. Um, what was the process on working on that uh, particular screenplay? Did you co-write it with someone? Or yeah,
1: you... I co-wrote it with um, the director. It was a friend of mine named Wayne Kramer. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those guys that I would continually pitch stories to. And this was a story that he really, really... Um, Graphs onto, and wanted to. Uh, he kept on saying, "Hey, you got to write that. You got to write that." And then, you know, eventually, he uh, asked me if I had started, and I said no because I was still working a day job at the time. And uh, he said, "I want to direct that movie." And meanwhile, you know, neither of us had any real measure of success. He had sold a, a, a spec uh, script because he's, you know, a writer, mm-hmm. and uh, but he had yet to direct his first feature. So it was no big. Plus, to have him attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we both kind of knew that, like, okay, so we made this agreement like that he would be the director no matter what.
0: And when you say attached, what does that mean exactly?
1: What that means is that when we went around town after mm-hmm. the script was written, um, they... You know, people had come to us and says, well, you know, we like this movie, but we don't really want to make it with Wayne as a director, because he's a first-time director, and we're not so sure we want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we would say, well, okay, thank you, you know, mm-hmm. because that was the agreement that we, mm-hmm. we made. <clears throat> and, and when
0: you make an agreement like that, how do you go about doing that? Like... A lot of us we, we try and make agreements with people but we don't we're not lawyers and we don't know how to go about doing that. Did you guys just draw one up yourselves? Did you consult we with
1: the lawyers? We didn't because we were um you know, we were very good friends for many, many years and mm-hmm. so it was just kind of like a word of mouth friendly mm-hmm. kind yeah. of agreement we had. Mm-hmm. And you know, and i and that was kind of there was the there was definitely a conversation it wasn't long but it was kind of like you, if we're going to do this you have to agree that like no matter what happens unless i change my mind which mm-hmm. would be his choice that he's going to direct it and I, of course mm-hmm. at the time i was like hey that's great you know to mm-hmm. me i was just happy to have um someone interested in in, in the project and and, and that mm-hmm. was fine and uh you know i i knew he had it i knew he could do it so i it wasn't like i was thinking Oh, God, this is going to be a mess. Yeah. Like, I knew that he could do it, because he's mm-hmm. a very focused person. But I think if I had not been friends with him, I think that, you know, drawing some kind of agreement probably would have been prudent, just because, you know, I know there were some offers out there where we we knew we didn't want to pursue them based mm-hmm. on the fact that it would affect the directing job, whatever. And, and even at one point, mm-hmm. there was this company, and I can't remember who it was, they had said... Well, we like it, we like the script, but we want it to be a slapstick comedy with um, like oh. a Jim Carrey. Oh,
3: wow. Mm.
1: You know, and I think, <laughs> and we were both like, "Wow!" And we said, no, 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 it's not it's not this movie. I mean, I can kind of see the humor in that, yeah. like in a liar, liar kind of way, sure. but um, it wasn't the kind of movie. It wasn't what you It wrote. wasn't the vision that yeah. we, we had. And so, you know, I was come out of left field with ideas, and, and for the cooler, it was really based on, you know, me going to Vegas in my early 20s and, you know, losing, because that's what you do. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's set up for you to lose, and, mm-hmm. and the idea was that if if I'm not, if, if I'm, if, if there's not somebody else forcing me to lose,
3: mm-hmm.
1: whether it's this kind of collective karma or whatever, then I'm the loser, and there's no way that's true. So it's mm-hmm. got to be somebody else. So it was kind of mm-hmm. this projection. So did you just
0: come up with this idea yourself? Or, yeah. or are there actual coolers?
1: No, there's, there's really... Because I no know when the movie thing.
0: came out, people were saying, oh, yeah, there are actual coolers that are in the yeah, casinos.
1: Yeah, no, not, not really. I mean, not in the way that I think it's, you know, portrayed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you might see it... Because uh, the term cooler uh, is a... Uh, is a phrase for a stacked or loaded deck, mm. um, or a cold deck, that kind of thing, and but which isn't what I see. Okay, which isn't what a cooler it's is something in this movie
0: that movie. it's a stacked deck that somebody might use, use to, to, to cool tr- off of somebody, somebody who's
1: really idea, lucky. Right. I see. Um, but um, what you if you go to Vegas, I don't know if you if you go to Vegas. I just at all, got back Maybe. from
0: Vegas. I think I was there last week.
1: Okay, or a couple. Maybe weeks we should still. give a brief thing on what the film is about. Oh, so sure. People yeah, what's the log line? <laughs> the log line? Okay, well, basically, the movie is uh, about a guy who is so unlucky that he makes other people unlucky. He has an infectious bad luck, so he's hired by a casino to protect their bottom line. Like, he's the <laughs> secret weapon. So, what sets this movie into motion is that he meets a girl and falls for her. And when he falls for her, it. Changes his bad luck into good luck, which ultimately throws him into he gets a world of trouble with, Hell. with his yeah. boss, is Alec Baldwin because he's really weird. not supposed to be lucky, He's supposed to be unlucky. So, mm-hmm.
0: William H. Macy plays the, the cooler, and I think that's great casting. How did you get a hold of him to be in this movie?
1: Well, it was always Bill, mm-hmm. um, always, always in my mind. Now, I, I, we didn't have any agreement with Bill to say, hey, we're, uh, we're going to write this movie for you. Did you know him? No, uh, not at all. And so we, you know, the script was written, and we, said we had sent it to his agent, and his agent had, you know, put us off. No, he's not going to do this, he's not going to do this, because uh, Bill had said, look, I'm not doing any more loser roles, no more lovable losers, mm-hmm. because he had made quite a career for himself that's mm-hmm. where he had gotten cast and he does have a range like he plays a great bad guy too i mean he's you know but he just was like i'm not doing this but we're like no you're not a loser you got to trust me it's not you know but he just he just wouldn't he wouldn't do it he wouldn't do it and so we were really prepared to move on because you know we had spent a lot of time
0: did you write it with him in mind
1: that's what i yeah absolutely so it was always bill that's what you're saying always okay. bill so You know, when he said, uh, when he eventually, through his agent, I don't know if we'd spoken to him personally, we just said, wow, geez, you know, it's not going to happen. So we had moved on, and we actually were dangerously close to casting Kelsey Grammer. Like, Kelsey Grammer, I think, had agreed to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's weird because now it's it's weird to think that, like, Kelsey Grammer could have been the cooler, you know, but Mm -hmm. it didn't work out that way. So we were happy when Bill eventually signed back on, and once we had him, we had Alec. But Alec had it was a great story with Alec too because he had read the script and there is a scene in the movie where he uh, his character uh, kicks a pregnant woman in the stomach, mm-hmm. and he read it and he's like, oh my god, and he's you know he's like, oh, because he he, he he like most people that are actors that get a lot of offers or read a lot of scripts, they're always looking for the real one thing to say, okay, no, I'm not doing this movie. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to say no, but they're always looking for that one thing. So he got to that, and he's like, oh, this is totally irresponsible filmmaking. There's no way I'm doing this. And he threw it down. And eventually, uh, he said to his agent, look, I'm not doing this movie. And his agent said, well, you know, maybe you should r- r- just keep reading. And it was then after that that he read that he realized that he wasn't kicking a pregnant woman. He was kicking... Uh, a woman who was faking a pregnancy to cheat the casino. Right. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he's like, "Wow, I'm not this monster. I'm just really, really, really smart. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so like that key. you would
0: know that mm-hmm. certain with that much certainty, right? Mm-hmm. You would actually. And kick he's her like, himself.
1: "Wow, and that's what I think. You know, so he says anyway. Was a, a main, a big reason why I was like, "Okay, I think this is cool because, mm-hmm. you know, when that scene was written, I remember it was kind of like, "Oh wow, this scene's going to be intense." You know, and then I remember people reading it going, oh, my God, and when he kicks the woman, and then, oh. Okay, so then whenever it was filmed, it just was such an intense day of filming because it was all in this parking garage in in Reno in kind of April or May, and it was still snowing. It was cold, so we're at the bottom level of this parking garage. It's freezing down there, and all day long, it's nothing but, like, Alec kicking you know what i mean like <laughs> oh take gosh. after take and the scene and, and then of course he's beating the guy with the lead pipe and yeah. the kneecaps and so for hours Brutal. it was so intense women were that were working on the film it, it people were leaving the set like crying <clears throat> it just was so emotional oh, because wow. there was an intensity to it that it just uh-huh. after a while you're like oh my god even me i'm thinking it was cool at first to see it play out then i was like oh my again and again and again, just to get what we needed for the shot, but, uh, so, yeah, so but the thing is, I like the fact that, in movies where you have, like, really interesting reversals like that, where they're shocking, but, it, then people, are, you know, it just, I love that. In yeah, movies. absolutely, mm-hmm. I do too. You
2: know? I do too. Let me ask you about, um, in terms of technique, I see that you have a Sony bio here, is that what you prefer to write with? And why, if so?
1: Um, a laptop is just—I don't suppose it really would matter what kind of laptop, but I like the laptop because I can sit it in front of the television or or, or move it anywhere mm-hmm. you go. Because pretty much, um, you need to be willing to write whenever. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I had a day job, you know, you'd work all day and then you come home and you try to muscle up the the inspiration to get writing and sometimes it would be tough because you'd just be mentally spent mm-hmm. but writing for a living you have to make this agreement with yourself that no matter what time or where or when you know you, you know, it can affect your life where a weekend comes and you know your girlfriend wants to go out and do this and that and you're like well wait I just have to finish this and they're like mm-hmm. you know it's hard sometimes they don't get it that, mm-hmm. um, that you it's just the, you know it's that idea that if you, if you pay attention to the muse, whatever your muse is, mm-hmm. if you're loyal to it, it'll never, ever, ever leave you. Mm-hmm. And that's such an important thing, I think, for people to understand that, you know, or work creatively. It's like for, for them, what that means is you can't put off whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And if that means that you carry a little note, book with you or something like that that you're yeah. always writing down or always stopping even for a few minutes to kinda of get the idea out of you onto paper yeah. or onto head. So, because that way it clears it out and it opens your mind it's kinda of like mm-hmm. Feng Shui or Feng Shui wow. for the mind you know Again, we just did that on the
2: last just interview talked about feng oh did you Feng, shui in, feng shui, shui in the last interview, interview. Did, yeah the yeah. yeah. so Feng Shui
1: for the writer even kind like, of you know I mean wow. I, I mean I think that look you know with Feng Shui. It's funny because I think I like some of the practical stuff with it, where uh-huh. it's like, okay, well, if you, because I, as you can kind of see, I, I, I inherited a clutter gene. Like I, I <laughs> know, I'm very cluttered, but I like the idea of like, okay, so if I take this out and I make room for something new to come in, that new energy. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Okay, it's interesting. But it's like, you know, the, when it gets down to like, I know people that it's like, oh, wait, your stairs are aiming out your front door. Oh God, now we need to put this up. It's like pretty soon it's like you're doing the hokey pokey before you yeah. leave your house. So it seems a bit kind of kooky when you start to look at all of it. Yeah. But I think there's some very practical things about it that are, you know, I think sure, are Sure,
0: I think so. I think that idea of flow also in your environment. You know, even if you do have a cluttered environment, you know, you should be able to get from point A to point B without tripping over the coffee table or whatever. Right. And that, you know, certainly makes a lot of sense.
2: I don't know. I, I think that the thing, main thing, is that you have to be able to get to what you're getting at. I remember I had a, a friend's woman I was dating, and um, I, I was somewhere. I, was, I think I might have been actually been in the hospital, and we needed something that I had been using the week before. And she had been to my house, and she always talked about it was a mess. But I told her to go in and look on the floor under these very specific papers, and it was stuck. There was something that had been thrown there. But my house is always a mess. But I know where everything in there is. <laughs> I don't know how, but you know, like I can tell you where almost everything is. Sometimes I have to look for it for an hour. Right.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we're gonna have to wrap it up already. Yeah, I know. I, I haven't even asked him about structure. Well, yet. okay, ask him about structure. Let's hear. Okay. It. Well,
2: well, what, what, what? what, what
0: I, what's your, your background,
2: your training in, in this? Um, what has inspired you? Um,
1: did you go to school for it, or how did you learn? And- uh, well, you know, I didn't go to school for it. Um, I'm a college, community college dropout, mm-hmm. uh, blue-collar upbringing, very working class, always had a job rather mm-hmm. than school. Where are you mm-hmm. from? Uh, I was born in Scotland, and I moved here when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Where's the Scottish accent? Well, I grew up here. I don't know. Where's yours? <laughs>
2: <All right. laughs>
3: exactly. That did not sound Scottish to me.
1: Um, and so I, I grew up uh, in the South Bay, like Redondo Beach, Torrance area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so always worked. Did well in school, mm-hmm. but um, never... College just... Never seemed like a priority, it always seemed like a job. So, in terms of training, it was always movies and always knowing I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know I wanted to be a screenwriter, I just Mm -hmm. knew that I always had this thing for storytelling and Mm wanting to tell stories. And I think that comes from a a, a kind of a Scottish tradition of storytelling. My father was very much like that, like he would always tell stories, you Mm -hmm. know, whether they were funny stories about your family or your upbringing or like for him it might have been like his years in the as a merchant seaman or something like he would tell you an interesting story and I think that's was a big part of you know what inspired me is mm-hmm. the way my father would tell stories And he was also a big movie fan I was sick of mm-hmm. the movies and so I often feel like um, it's really just like if you have a special talent or a skill that like you can juggle or something mm-hmm. like that, it's really just a cry for help, okay, mm-hmm. is the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like what I do is I have a, a phrase I use called marketing your misery. Like, all mm-hmm. I really do is market my misery better than other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's between, say, me and that whiny guy you know who's always complaining about every last thing. It's, I just make it more palatable, you know uh-huh. I create okay. so those are the things that you know mm-hmm. if I have an existential crisis, I write about it in a story rather mm-hmm. than you know, so that's kind of the okay, back to the I question see. is like right. i've I've often kind of looked at it like, well, I see what bothers me, and I write about it, and so okay. that's a big um part of what made me mm-hmm. want to write, okay. You know, but
2: did you go through um, Robert McKee's course
1: or I did. You know, like I went that? years ago I went. And mm-hmm. you know, let me tell you that is like a uh, that is everything they tell you it is. I don't it's it's 3 days of just intense just you're just getting uh, yelled at by this guy for three <laughs> days. I don't know if you guys have sat through his No, my ahead. girlfriend has done it. Uh, however, um, I have not I've read you, the book. You think it's worthwhile? Um, it is worth... I think it's worthwhile. I mean, I think the guy's definitely on to something. I mean, he's he's, he's great at what mm-hmm. he does. And it's entertaining. But it's really hard after... Thankfully, he wrote a book... You know, mm-hmm. uh, that based on his course, because I had went to see his course before he wrote this book, and mm-hmm. just sitting, you know, you're, you're writing notes and everything, but your brain is fried, and, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and, you know, he's the kind of guy, like, even in Adaptation, the movie Adaptation, they yeah. had a mm-hmm. guy who kind of portrayed him. Kind of
0: portrayed him. He was, you know, basically Robert McKeon. He had the same name in the show, didn't he?
1: No, no, he he was Robert McKeon. I mean, I'm the, saying, yeah. like what I'm saying is that he was kind of close to yeah. who, he, who Brian was. Cox, I think. Yeah, Scottish actor. Yep. Love him, and... uh this guy's kind of thing where somebody will ask a question and uh, s- somebody will say like they'll raise their hand during the mm-hmm. seminar or whatever, and mm-hmm. uh, they'll say, uh, what do you think of this movie?" and then McKee will just start screaming at the guy He's <laughs> like, oh, you were not here to sit here and listen to movie reviews. that's not why we're here and so then like okay, and then actually I'll talk coming back to me that. There was a point at which this guy, he was sitting in the row right in front of me. And, you know, it was at the Pacific Design Center Uh in West Hollywood is where they had it in one of their um, uh, auditoriums. And so we're in there, and this guy, like, has a full-on, like, seizure. Like, he's epileptic. He's having a seizure. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden, this was, God, this is like gotta be fifteen years ago. Uh-huh. And so all of a sudden this all the cell phones go out because this guy's like Meanwhile, McKee's up there like spewing out the brilliance yeah, right? he's right. giving you, you know. And so he hates to be interrupted. He hates it. So this guy is like flipping around in his seat and everyone's freaking out. And so then it's like call nine one one. So then like the ten Cell phones go on, go up, you know, I've got it. No, I've got it. I've got it. No, 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 I've got it. So then they call 911. Well, meanwhile, this guy manages to, this kid, he manages to kind of pull out of it. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm okay. And they're like, are you sure? Are you Mm -hmm. sure you're okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. They're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. So McKee's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, okay. So then he goes back to his thing, right? okay so now like he goes back into his uh he goes <laughs> he goes back into his his lecture or whatever he was talking about and so then five ten minutes later what do you think happens boom again. in comes oh. the paramedic oh man oh, right
2: right. Right. Yeah. right right
1: right and and McKee's like yes <laughs> you know it's like he, like nothing happened right he's like oh there's we got a call he's like he's okay and they're like and he's like, he's fine. It's kind of like, why are you interrupting? my very important? You're wasting my time. Oh, so I think McKee is, is is good because he kind of cuts right to the quick. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really put up with you know, like wishy-washy and stuff. Like he's very specific. And I think if you kind of do half the things he says. Um, then you're gonna, you're gonna write better stories. If nothing else, you can come out of there going, okay, there's definitely a structure to this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not just, right. it's not just something, some people have a natural ability for it, mm-hmm. um, but other people, you know, it's that idea of like, you don't, when you drive mm-hmm. your car, nowadays, when you first started, you're thinking, God, you know, I'm, I'm driving a stick, I've gotta push the clutch in, I gotta do all mm-hmm. this, then I gotta like watch the rear in there, and I gotta break, and oh my God, and, and then not hit anybody? Mm-hmm. But then after a couple of weeks or a month or whatever, you don't see a stop sign and say, oh, I have to stop. You just automatically stop. You don't mm-hmm. even think about it. And so mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of what structure is. You know, like yeah. you internalize mm-hmm. it in a way that that way you start to think mm-hmm. of stories and they start to kind of come out in a structured format right. rather than just this mm-hmm. kind of nebulous stuff.
0: I had a friend send me a script one time and I read it and I had been reading story and... And uh, he was asking me for some advice. And he's somebody who had never writ- written a script before. And so I told him, you know, take a look at this book. I read a script and I said, you know, I think you'd benefit from reading this book. Man, he read it. And he called me back with such a mouthful. He started just screaming at me about how much it disturbed him, this book. Yeah. And, and, and he was just railing McKee's against book? it. Yeah, McKee's book. And I Which think it was story? just because, yeah, story. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because it challenged him in a way that it was too much information to handle. It is a
1: lot of information. That's part of the thing that even in the book, you're reading it and you're like, oh, it's so much to think about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is like a doctoral thesis Mm -hmm. on, uh, on storytelling. And, and so that's just too much to, but I think, you know, if you go back to it over time, you're like, oh, that's what he was talking about. Oh, now I see. I think
0: as in the practice of screenwriting, you start to realize, oh, this does make a heck of a lot of Mm -hmm. sense. I can't just write a scene, or I could, but it's probably not going to help if I Mm -hmm. write a scene where there isn't something that occurs, isn't some kind of event that occurs in this scene. Mm -hmm. It's just.
1: Well, you know, a quick story too is that, you know, there's a, there was a script that I wrote that I was intending to direct, and it was, it's kind of a dark, indie type of thing. And and uh, as a guy who's never directed before, people would say, "Oh, you need to storyboard this movie. Mm-hmm. It'll show that you know you really know what you really want to shoot, and etc. etc." So I said, "That's a great idea." So I started to do the storyboards. And something I quickly realized while storyboarding a scene was because something you need to know as a director when you look at a scene is like, "Well, what is this? What is this scene about?" Let me interrupt for one second. A storyboard is a
2: a collection of images, yeah. usually drawn images that tell the
1: story. Right. Right. And so you know, they always tell you when you read or talk to directors or people that do storyboarding, this is what you're gonna want to do. Or when you're looking at it, what is this scene about? If you're it's a director, what is what is the scene about? So I had looked at a scene and I was drawing it out as the major shots I needed and everything. And it was only through that process that I realized what the scene I had written a full year and a half prior was actually about. And mm-hmm. it wasn't what I thought it was about. Mm-hmm. And that's what is amazing when you start to see what is actually going on in many different levels of what's going on inside mm-hmm. of a, a script. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, where a scene might just play out as, you know, a conflict over money, but really is about. Loss and you know a deep need or something that you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily connect to Mm -hmm. something on the top surface level Mm -hmm. seems very kind of Mm -hmm. throwaway, Mm -hmm. but but people get that other part of it right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Joel was um,
2: um, trying to move us to the end because it is time, I guess, by now. Yeah, we're getting there. But let me just um, tell my film bite, which has now become a film bite question, I, I guess. Um, It's a question of structure and really what it is. Um, I don't know whether or not structure is a universal concept. I mean, structure itself, sure, you have it, but is film structure the same all over the world? Is it the same structure that we use in um, Bollywood, in, in India? Is it the same that we use in Iran? Is it the same that we use in Mali? Is it in West Africa? Is it the same that we use in Burkino Faso? Um, that's a, a question that I have because I know that even in looking at French films, um, their structure is frequently very different from what I'm accustomed to in American right. films.
1: I think, those, I think the structures of those films are different. And I think ultimately there's that classic structure that we know from literature mm. that from usually Greek literature and right, there's the, the comes down from the Greeks. Right, and so we look at that and we say, okay, I get that, and then you know, all the variations of that, you know, you'll see in different in different mm-hmm. filmmaking, especially in European films, where um, it's sometimes it's hard for people to watch a, a foreign film because there there's a certain expectation now, mm-hmm. and right. that you know that's the whole thing nowadays where. People have seen a million films, so they kind of the audience are so ahead of you most of the time Mm -hmm. because they've just seen a million. Right, you know what to expect. Right. So Mm -hmm. when you expect that, then you see Mm -hmm. something that's foreign, and you're like, "Wait a minute, this doesn't make sense." Right. Takes Mm a little bit of time to. to Mm -hmm. So I think that the the answer is that the structure, the underlying structure, may have similarities, but ultimately, depending, you know, they are very different in terms Mm -hmm. of what the sensibility is. Right. Mm Okay, so my film bite this time is just really a challenge to those
0: people out there to define what your movie's about. You were talking about following your muse and just clearing out whatever ideas you might have, putting them down on paper. This week, just put down on paper what your movie's about in just a, you know a paragraph or even a sentence.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and it's generally not what the plot is. Okay, ah, good. interesting. That okay, makes, yeah, that's, that's it. The right. plot is about stealing, you know, $20 million uh-huh. from a bank. That's not what your, your ah, movie is about. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that's
0: good. All right. Do so you have a film bite for us? You've um, given us many during this. Yeah. Thing, so are not going well, to do Well, I it. think
1: if, if I have a film bite at, at all, it's just that um, you definitely, uh, if you have a sense of what you know you want to tell in a story Uh, an interesting way to to do that whenever you're coming up with a storyline or a movie is instead of putting having characters think of them as emotions think of your Mm. characters as emotions like a guy wants uh, to win his uh, wife back and so he's got his buddy but his buddy uh might represent instead of just being his college frat buddy his buddy represents greed and his mother represents safety and Mm -hmm. you know et cetera et cetera et cetera and that way and you create conflicts that challenge whatever his dilemma is and if you think of your characters as emotional values then you'll be able to uh to create real conflict and see how to create conflicts I know that's more of a bite, but I'll well, tell you, I think pretty I like soon it. people are going
2: to be trying to call on you to apply for your classes. That's what I think so. You <laughs> class.
0: so if you have any questions for us or for Frank, you can email us at filmshots at filmshots.com. Net. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Frank, for having us here. We oh, really thank you. Thank I really
2: appreciate it. I learned a lot. I, I definitely did. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, did. I'm taking this course. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, y'all.